Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Obsessed episode 213 was recorded live September 18th, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the west side of Michigan, one pint lighter. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. I would like it to stay a little warmer than it is, but hey, it is September. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if we can expect much better for September. And also joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm just fine as can be, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it is getting that. Uh, I noticed the days are getting a little bit shorter, and it is a little bit nippier outside. How, how's the water been? Well, I've been on uh, withdrawal for the last oh, almost two weeks now since we got back from up north. What, what happened? You lose your gear and get lost by the plane? Well, I figured I'd try to let it get dried out really good <laughs> since it's been used so much. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't recommend it. Well, we like to thank, uh, we have Corey from Australia in the chat room tonight. And hopefully we have a few more pop in as we go along. Uh, we're going to get started and jump right on into the news. And the first article we have up is the Coast Guard conducts hearing on scuba dive operations. And luckily for us, that's not here in the U.S. This is over in the Philippines. We'll paste it into the chat room for, so they can follow along. And it seems to be the trend recently is that the, what would you call that, Near East operations, the ring of fire out there that they have uh, or, uh Groups trying to figure out how to legislate or make it safer. Um, let's see, how will we jump on this one? Uh, in the Philippines, there on uh, September 5th, the Philippines Coast Guard presented a draft to divers, dive shops, operators, enthusiasts during a public hearing at the Pangleo Gymnasium. Apart from stakeholders and even watercraft operators, fearing tourists also present were Congressman Rennie, oh my gosh, my gosh, uh, Rolapagos. House Tourism Committee Chair, local officials, and international dive consultants. Using Republic Act 9993 and the Philippines Coast Guard laws and its implementing rules and regulations which reference the International Convention of the Safety of Life at Seas, Chapter 3, Philippine Merchant Marine Rules and Regulations. Wow, and they go on. How They, they know how to start a, a document. Uh, but they're, what they're trying to do is, is address some of the concerns and risks among some of the policies that were presented were the putting the appropriate amount of life vests on board watercraft and that those should be subject to pre-departure inspections by authorized Coast Guard personnel, that they should have extra oxygen tanks for emergencies. And I wonder if they said oxygen, if they meant oxygen or if they meant air. Uh, captain's license by uh, Marina, now required to report by call or text upon departure at sea and upon its return. For scuba diving instructors, it must be certified by recognized training institutions such as PADI, 
uh, Naui, and they list a few others. The scuba divers must also profess to abide by the safe scuba diving activity rules and carry out rescues, initiate necessary emergency actions, as well as render reports to the nearest Coast Guard detachment for any incidents pertaining to scuba or other underwater activities. Now, what kind of struck me as I as I read through some of these requirements is wouldn't you have those regardless of scuba? Well, you got to look at the organization, you know, the, the governmental organization to begin with, and uh, I'm glad to see they're doing it. Yeah, because at first you think, oh, gosh, they're just uh, putting more laws on the books, but it looks like everything that they've had that they're trying to pass, we would put as common sense in what we would expect on a charter operation. Well, you, we only expect that because of the legalities of getting your butt sued. Yeah, true. But if you look at the area, you're talking about Indonesia, and you're, you're talking about New Guinea, Borneo, the Philippines, and Kuala Lumpur, Jakarta, Dill, all those areas. If the Philippines go with this route of getting more control over of the businesses, basically, and that's what it is, business, mm-hmm. I think it'll branch out to the others, and I think you will have more consistent laws and I think the enforcement will hopefully be good, and you'll have safer dives, especially if you're taking a trip from here to there. Yeah. Your chance of coming back will probably increase. Yeah, because we, we've covered a few stories in the last year where people have been uh, left behind for a variety of different reasons. You've had uh, operators who have uh, been less than scrupulous in, in some of their practices. I think a lot of it comes down to whether it's a licensed dive charter or just some local guys taking you out on a boat yeah that's true you need to do a little bit of research and you know just don't ask the concierge at the front desk where to go because you never know he may be getting kickback and a little bit of motivation on telling you where you should and who you should go diving with a little bit of research i thought thought it was interesting they did also i had snorkeling yeah well snorkeling when you start looking at the statistics for injury there's a lot more people being injured in snorkeling, and it's at a rate that in many cases exceeds scuba injuries. Well, I think we talked about that maybe three weeks ago. They were talking about Hawaii, that uh, the deaths in snorkeling instances and the frequency of it, you know, compared to even diving, is mm-hmm. tremendous. Yeah. Its death rate was higher than skydiving, scuba diving, and most of the other activities they participated in out there. Yeah, and and part of that I, I would mark up to people just – feeling overconfident you know they understand that there's risk in scuba diving and in many cases they they recognize the need for training but a lot of people will go to the local big box retailer buy a mask and a snorkel and just jump in the water and and maybe not have any regard for their own uh physical condition you know how how what kind of condition they're in and uh also the environment that they're going into they may not be understand the currents or the bottoms or other events yeah, that's what they referenced in that article we had discussed. And one of them was the average age of the death was 50 years old on what you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. They either didn't have flotation, did not use it correctly, and did not anticipate and was trying to fight currents when they should have gone with it. Yeah, yeah, and we see similar things just with, with general swimming, too. You have uh, people who get tired. Most people drown within 5, 10 feet of shore. Yep. And we must be entering the... Guinness World of Record attempt season. I've got two articles this week. First one is reported by DeeperBlue.com. An Egyptian scuba diver is attempting to break the world record for the deepest dive on September 18th. Which I, when is that? That's today. 
so he may have already beaten it. Uh, TDI instructor trainer Ahmed Gabar will try to break, or had tried to break, the world record currently held by South African diver Nuno Gomes. In 2005, Gomes dove to a depth of 318.25 meters in Dubai, Egypt. Gabar wants to go down to 350 meters. He's aiming for a depth of 350 meters, but anything below the record as it is now will still count. Uh, he's an Egyptian military author. He's also been trained in, as a combat diver by the U.S. military. He originally began his quest to break the world record in 2010, but his country's subsequent political upheaval led to, put to putting those plans on hold. The world record attempt will be filmed for a documentary by uh, Dieter Nore, uh, which is the team f- uh, for the BBC Blue Planet. He also filmed uh, The Late Jacques Cousteau. I was just looking up to see if I could find the current status, and I did not find anything at this juncture. Yeah, so it would probably be, I mean, they said today, so today would be over. They said the extreme dive is scheduled to take 14 hours to complete, with the smallest portion being the descent. The support team will use about 90 tanks plus 17 twin sets in the course of the dive. His ascent is so long to allow for the enormous decompression time. Wow. So he could still. That's got to be a trip. He, he could still be underwater. <clears throat> yeah, can, the logistics is mind-boggling. Yeah, well, you think about that. He's got ninety tanks and seventeen twin sets. So take ninety tanks. If you had ninety tanks and stack them up, what that would have to be, you know, eight feet high by like seventeen, eighteen feet long. No, not not quite that long. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, well, it's way down there. Yeah, and then and then add seventeen twin sets to it. Oh, by the way, he did make it. He did make it? Yep, I just looked. Uh, he's on Facebook, by the way. <laughs> oh, he's on Facebook? <laughs> yep, and I just went to take a look at it. Uh, changed this cover. Guinness, world record, deepest, deepest scuba diver, male, 18-9-2004. Congratulations. So I assume he made it. Oh, the new, the official new record is 332.4 meters. 332.4 meters. So that's 1,000 feet? Sure looks like it. So nice. Good job. That's amazing. God. Just imagine the pressure. I mean, how, how many times you got to clear your ears on the way down for that one? Well, once you go pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once, once you've blown the eardrums out. Uh, that is freaking amazing. Uh, if you do go to the Facebook, just put on his name uh-huh. and hit Facebook. Uh, they got interesting pictures, and he sure doesn't look any worse for wear, but it doesn't give me a lot of details, and that's what I was hoping to see, they like say, his deco, for example. Yeah. Well, 14 hours. You know, 14 hours, that must be, what, maybe 30 minutes to go down and 13 and a half hours to come back? It would be nice to know that. I don't know. Well, then I'd like to know, just like you said, the logistics. So you've got 90 tanks. How do you suspend 90 tanks? And how did he signal? I mean, you can't hang all 90 tanks at once. Not a clue. And your support divers. I mean, your support divers are going to be in half a day deco on their own. You know, if they, how, how deep? You know, how deep was his, sh- was his deepest support diver? You know, did you have somebody who did, you know, 500 feet, you know, half the depth? And really, what value does that add other than, I mean, he really can't do much. Yeah. That, well, they said there's going to, it looks like there's going to be a documentary on it, so we'll be able to find out. Yeah, I would definitely think so. But uh, again, check out Facebook. Uh, a lot of pictures of the different boats. He started during the daytime, came up at night, and that was in the Red Sea of Dihab, Egypt. And then Corey in the chat room, he he found a, a link too as well. Let's see what his link is. I'll paste that to you, Max, so you've got a copy of it. Wonder what the bottom temperature was. Well, he, I, he's in Egypt, so it's a Red Sea. Uh, I don't think it's going to be all that 
Well, I was going to think, I would think that it would have stayed at a certain temperature once you got past, I don't know, 300 feet. Does it really change? I wouldn't think it would much. Well, I'm going to picture that probably anything below you know, 80 to 100 feet there is going to be pretty consistent. Of course, did it say, does it say where he's diving? I'm, I'm, I'm on his website now, which is h2odiversdahab.com. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to see, it's Dahalb, Egypt. So it looks like that's where the other world record was, was done. Must be some reason why they've picked that spot. Maybe it's clear. Maybe it's one of those places that, you know, your safety divers can see you coming up. Wow, and they show some of the people in the logistics. Pretty nice. Yeah, very cool. Okay, then we have another one. This one is a 55-hour dive to set a underwater record. That looks so tame compared to what he just did. Yeah, it's like maybe we should have flip-flopped them. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I can go in the swimming pool or I can go 1,000 feet down. <laughs> Duh. So the diver known as the grouper is starting his 55-hour dive. Uh, Alan Sherrod is going the Atlantic Ocean with full scuba gear Thursday morning. Doesn't intend to come up the surface until Saturday afternoon. He's diving for a spot in the Guinness Book of World Record for the longest time spent underwater in open salt water. Uh, he went into the water just after 6.30 a.m. He's going to plan to surface about 1.30 p.m. on Saturday. It'll be 55 hours. He's going to be anchored to the sand 15 feet beneath the waves. He says he's looking forward. It's fun, especially out there when there's so much to see. The only time it gets bad is when you get cold. To combat the problem, he's wearing a thermal wetsuit and a specially, special battery-powered covering that can generate heat if he needs it. He's entering the water at 6 a.m. where the team will find more than a dozen people. Spent half hour making sure everything was ready for the operation. He's in the water just near uh, Lauderdale-by-the-Sea Windjammer Resort, about 800 feet from shore. And they've nominated SpongeBob SquarePants as the unofficial mascot. Well, you know, he ought to be able to do that, like, really easy because he holds the record of 120 hours in freshwater. Yeah, so if you can do 120 hours, this is just like a, a stroll. Yeah. Uh, the, the goal of the dive is to raise awareness for charities that will benefit from fundraisers. Uh they include Dive Heart, which gave uh, scuba opportunities to people with disabilities. So we'll see. So hopefully next week we'll we'll know if he was successful or not. I wish the guy luck. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Then we have an underwater museum. Somebody's trying to drive a little bit of tourism in their part of the world by putting artworks underwater. If they hadn't have told me that was an elephant, I don't know if I would have <laughs> I I still don't know if I get that. It's a 1,700-pound structure elephant, and they're planning on it serving as a new as a platform for new coral. Now, is that just junk strapped together? It looks like it, but did you realize that that's the Egyptian city of Dihab, which is just where that— The other guy is doing deep, his— His deep dive? Here, well, you, we, we're going down there. Drop this. Of course, I don't think this is going to be in the same depth as where he was diving. Or maybe that's what an elephant looks like when you're at a thousand feet. <laughs> yeah, everything's everything's shrunk on them. The the project is organized by I Dive Tribe as community scuba divers facilitate recreational dives in Egypt and advocate the pres preservation of coral reefs and marine life. Over the course of three years, members of the tribe have submerged three large structures in a section of the Red Sea that lies within the Sinai Peninsula. Statues are designed to promote the creation of new coral reefs. Hundreds of open-ended steel tubes run through them to provide holes where small marine creatures may find shelter from predators. The aim of this project is to create a new dive site, provide habitat for marine life, create rich, rich sustainable medium for coral growth, 
decrease human impact on the currently present coral dive reefs. Uh, Hamid Mohammed, artist and assistant professor of fine arts at Luxor University, designed the statues, the first of the first two of the series, which were encased in cement, depict likenesses of bees, the ancient Egyptian god of joy, and Horus, the falcon god of sun. Final piece of the new underwater aquarium is a 1,700-pound elephant made of recycled metal parts. It was lowered in the seabed earlier this week, signaling completion of the project. Several marine lifes are already using those statues now as permanent habitat. Soft corals have covered most of them, and the incredible discovery were patches of hard coral starting to form in many areas in the statue's body in less than one year. You can now visit the dive sites and check out the underwater museum for yourself. Did they say what the depth was? No, it didn't, but I'm looking at the statue of Bess. Uh-huh. Uh, I like that one because you can tell what it is. Yeah, that one, they did a little bit of casting. Yeah, yeah. Visibility looks pretty decent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's respectable. I would go there. Well, maybe. It depends what's going on in that part of the world when it's when you get the opportunity. Yeah. Wouldn't mind going, but I'd like to come back. Yeah. It was interesting that he he did his attempt kind of back on the deep dive. I is it really that much better now? Don't know. Okay. And then uh if you're in and look for a new house, one with that's got a site for scuba diving, here's one over I think it's in Ireland. It's in North Wales. Ah, yeah. That, uh, the Welsh will get upset if you call them Ireland. The home is near the village of Glyn Synagogue. Boy, they're missing a few consonants. Normally all the Welsh names have a bunch of consonants. Uh, the home is being sold in what a state agent says, a magical feature of the property, extremely unique, a spectacular exposed cavern. It has a price tag of 450,000 pounds. The cave pool has been used for scuba diving with depths up to 125 feet or 38 meters. Uh, Dave Thorley has lived there with his wife for 18 years. He's allowed scuba divers to use the caverns and also been down himself. Water is crystal clear, so the visibility is fantastic. On a sunny day, the water is turquoise. He says water is naturally filtered through the caves from a spring because the temperature in the cave is so cool and consistent. They were once used for growing mushrooms. Now, apart from the occasional diver, the pools are home to trout. It's in the Rexham County near Plows and Denbergshire, borders on which include stables and former slate mine workings in its 10 acres. The owner now wants to die, downsize and have less ground to care for, but he said he and admitted that he's going to miss the caves. Now, I heard you say miss the caves, but now is that a cave or a cavern? That's a uh, cavern. Because he says caves. Now, they, I don't know how deep it goes. Well, they said 125, but that, that didn't really reference it being the depth, you know, uh-huh. of the cave or the cavern. Or just said how... been used for scuba to a depth of. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. So he just might be the entrance to a, a larger cave system. The house part looks pretty nice. Yeah, and 10 acres, that's reasonable. It's it's about the just a little bit smaller than the property I've got here. I just, you know, let it go natural and don't don't uh, use your lawnmower. Yeah. Cut down on your upkeep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how that goes. I've been Break out with, the goats and the sheep. Yeah, I, I, well, the horses try to do a little bit of it. I've been out with the brush choppers on my on my property, and I let some of it go just a little too long. I wonder why they didn't do more mushroom stuff. Maybe the market just wasn't there, or there's probably better ways. If you look now, a lot of mushrooms are done in uh, modified greenhouses. You know, it's labor's your biggest cost, anything like that. Or also, I, th- I think uh, a lot of them are doing the, uh, you know, like the mines kind of work out. Now, I wonder if this is a mine, because he said that there was uh, stables in a former slate mine workings, and it's 10 acres. 
So I wonder if this cave was naturally occurring or if this was just a flooded portion of a slate mine. I don't know. When they slate mine, is that like open pit mining for coal? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if they're, when they say slate, are they talking like blackboard type slate or roof slates? I don't know. I thought they were basically the same, just depends on the size and the thickness. Yeah, probably. Probably how good it is and how much work. You start, you aim for a blackboard, but if it breaks, it becomes a, a shingle. <laughs> Interesting. It looks like slate mines are quite common in Wales, by the way. Are they? Yeah, I just hit it. So then pictures a record of disused slate mines in Wales. Well, That's had, also BBC. Yeah, if you had slate and you think about it, I mean, there was probably a period of several hundred years. You hardy in the 70s and just don't remember. Well, would they have called the Army Corps of Engineers in the, in the 1870s? Interesting designation for scuba divers. Now, they sunk this thing. Why couldn't they do the same thing with that aircraft carrier they just towed down there? Well, one is the size probably. Mac, we, we didn't have you on last week, so why don't you fill us in on what your your thoughts were of Sheboygan? How'd... <laughs> so I, I just went, you know, I was smart and went upstream. And I tried to go far enough upstream that, you know, it would have a chance to dissipate before it got to you. Yeah, but you noticed I did make my way up to you. <laughs> yeah, I knew you would. <laughs> but then I went across, and uh, that was faster on the outside bend. And there were some unique features of the sidewall, which I which were interesting. I did take some pictures of that. And we did find a new spot that's got a lot of old electrical in from our gear, uh, insulators, parts of relays. So whatever was on the shoreline there, they dumped it into the river there. Yeah, it's pushed it over. Yeah. So if you had a factory or something and you had some panels or breakers in the yard, you just kind of, hey, let's, what are we going to do with those? Yeah. And this was the old-fashioned stuff. But you couldn't carry a goodie bag because then you're just asking for trouble. Oh, yeah. And if you came up to put it in your basket, you were already 20, 30 yards downstream. It was great out there, let me tell you. <laughs> well, it sounds like a, it was fun. Now, Jim, did you get any diving in this last week? No, I've been suffering with the ear problem. Okay. Well, I saw that uh, uh, Bob and Kurt got some diving in, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they got uh, Lake 16, I believe. Cool. Yeah, I, I wanted to go, but I just couldn't get away. I'm running into that packed-up school time of the year. Well, the SAS dives, they ended Wednesday. Uh, they had a trash and treasure dive at Lake 16. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not Lake 16, but Gull Lake. Uh, and Richard probably won the uh, the prize for having done all the Wednesday night SAS dives. And, in fact, he should get the Grand Poobah prize because he did two dives that were canceled. <laughs> he did them anyway. <laughs> You, you should get something for that. Yeah. Plus, he's he's done every dive for, what, probably three years now? Uh, well, he won the prize with, you know, the unique shell hat uh -huh. two years ago, as I recollect. Oh, last year he was out of, he wasn't diving, was he? he right, had yeah. He had, the ear, he had six months of ear trouble like Jim's got right now. Yeah. Bob's had ear trouble this year. Uh, Maribeth has had ear trouble. So Yeah, I'm just getting over mine. Mine's Mine's finally cleared up. And yours is not to dive in the river either. No, no. I I like to blame diving, but it did impact me. It's like you, you don't want to compound it Yeah. because I, I doubt diving would help it. But I did dive a few times, and I do think maybe it did. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. But uh, at the last meeting, everybody at the meeting, I think we had 17 or 18 people other than the ladies, uh, had been diving. 
That's good. Yeah, so this is that was a good showing there. Yep. And then while you guys were at the meeting, I was moving band props around on the football field. Better you than me done that before. Yeah. Actually, I, I only had to go out and help collect flags. <laughs> it's a lot more fun to work with the ladies. Well, the, the the prop house is where the ladies will run out of, so uh, we we can claim that. And it, it's big. They they went crazy. The band boosters they outdid themselves. It's a two story house that we roll out onto the field. So it's a uh, quite a quite an evolved thing. So that's what I'll be doing tomorrow night. Get off of work, head to the school and do that for it's uh school's homecoming tomorrow i don't know the big game though you know is st joe lakeshore that's always a big game five seven thousand people every year the, the pack that you know everything's packed uh-huh uh, three deep on the sidelines all the way around so it'll be interesting to see who wins now that's, where, the, that's where they play this year lake st joe or lakeshore did you say who's going to win no, no I where, where they, they play. play we know who's going to win but oh, right, that, like, what do you mean you know who's going to win uh, it's going to be in Lakeshore, and Lakeshore is, uh, I think, two and two and one. They won two, lost one, and St. Joe's undefeated. I didn't think Lakeshore had lost one, did they? Oh yes. No. Their first game they won was um, two to nothing in overtime. Right. And that you know, how many games have you ever heard of two to nothing in overtime? It was a safety. Right. They won that one. The second game they did win was. Uh, field goal, three points at the end right. of the game. They won that one. And I thought they'd lost one after that. No, I think they're three wins and no losses. Uh, I yeah, didn't say that when in the paper, so that's why I, I thought they lost the last game. No, I think it's they're both teams are 3-0. and Well, I think they got a chance. Uh, I, we went to the game, or my daughters and stuff went to the game last week, and uh, St. Joe doesn't have a passing game. If you can stop their one major guy, uh, I think Lakeshore's got a chance. Because you know Denny Dockett's gone. He retired. Yeah. So you got a new coach and a new group of people. I know it's not diving, but it's a big deal around here. <laughs> yeah, I say Joe Lakeshore. I think just about every town's or regional area has the big rivalry, and I would have to say that's the biggest one in the area currently going on. In fact, if somebody didn't tell you where the dividing line was, you might not know where St. Joe uh, ends and Stevensville starts. And that's probably fighting words. I'm probably sure people get upset. It's interesting. The history goes way back. Back when it started, uh, Lakeshore or uh, St. Joe used to kick their butt all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, if you... The Lakeshore, the couple of years when my daughters were there, they had a 17-year run. They won every game for 17 years. And from then on out, it's been six and six that I remember. Mm-hmm. So it's been, they're pretty equal right now. Yeah. God, what, what are they doing, and this has got to be real exciting for our listeners, but what are they doing to the Lakeshore High School? What are they doing? Yeah, it's like they the day before school started, they ripped up every sidewalk around the building, pulled out the front entrance, and then tore up the yard, and looks like they're running gas pipe. I have no idea. I did not realize they had done that. Oh, my goodness, yeah. You, you go by the Lakeshore High School, there's orange barrels and police tape, or not police tape, but construction tape. So it almost looks like there's two different construction projects going on at the same time. Well, I know Benton Heights had something like that the other day, but that was because they had a major pipe gas pipe leak, and they had to evacuate. I think it was almost a square mile. Yeah. Well, they were putting pipe under this in this intersection where these roads come together. It's five lanes. It's like you got a center turn lane and then a, a straight lane and then a right lane, and you have that for all directions, and they meet there at the road. And 
they were going across with pipe. And they spent two weeks, you know, lining the pipe out, digging the holes in each side, putting in the, the, I don't know what you call those, to keep everything from backfilling in, and then pushing the pipe in and then filling it back with dirt. You know, I look at that and it's like, can you just drive that through? <laughs> I don't know, but it's going to be a good weekend for football around here. It's going to be nice and cool, hopefully no snow and no rain. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to something like that, but... Uh, how many did you get down to the uh, yard sale at Wolf's? The no, diver? I didn't. Jim, did you talk about that? No, I didn't. Don't think we did. How'd that go? Not bad. Not bad. There were eleven or twelve tables plus uh, probably a dozen or more tables that Wolf's had set up. People were selling fishing gear and lures. Any guys any... had uh, anchors and uh, fenders and. There was a little bit of everything there. They had some good prices on vest. Yeah. When you say vest, that life vests or BCDs? Life jackets, life vests, yeah. Very nice ones. Very good sale price. Well, good. And that leads into the other item. You put a new thing on the club site, didn't you, Jim, for Maribel, about H2O? Oh, H2O. Uh, yeah, H2O is having a uh, big sale this week. It's in uh, South Bend, Mishawaka area. And the other thing we didn't talk about uh, is the... Uh, statewide buoy permit has been filed by the Michigan um, Underwater Preserve Council. That's the council that kind of uh, coordinates activities among the 13 underwater preserves. And they filed a permit for close to 300 buoys um, or locations where we can place buoys uh, by the individual preserves next year. So hopefully that will all go through. Now, do they have any details or are there certain requirements to how those buoys have to be done, or is it every preserve fence for themselves? No, uh, there's a set standard um, with uh, concrete or metal anchors um, near the wreck with a subsurface buoy uh, and then a surface buoy with a tagline off of it for mooring. And then the the buoys, you know, the, the actual surface buoys can be removed in the winter so the ice doesn't tear them up, but the subsurface buoys can remain in place, you know, tied to the anchors, so they'll be able to just go back and reattach rather quickly next year. Okay. And instead of it just being milk jugs floating on the surface, it'll be a, you know, uh, three or four foot tall nun buoy. Okay. Very recognizable uh, nun buoy with radar reflectors, and I don't know if they might even include lights on them or not. Now, who was it who did all the the footwork? I understand there was somebody who was pretty instrumental in getting that to go through. Yeah. Uh, name slips. I want to say Dan Friedhoff right now, but the name is, I, I don't want to say for sure because I'm, um, I don't want to give credit. <laughs> to the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we'll follow up on that and find out who it is so we can give a shout out because that's a, that was a, that was a little, Good amount of work, and from what I understand, is there was quite a few different agencies that all had to be on board, and they wouldn't necessarily be on board on their own without going through their own bureaucracy. And somebody was able to kind of, I don't know, you call it pencil whip the paperwork all the way around and got it all agreed. Also, there's some something with the liability that that uh, came out of this, isn't there? Yes, uh, with this, you know, the, the, the permit is actually going to be in the name of the Michigan DNR who's responsible for the wrecks. And so it uh, takes the individual liability off of people who might have placed permits in the past or placed buoys in the past with or without a uh, 
a permit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Dan Friedhoff. Ah, uh, okay. I was just looking up my email. Yeah. Um, he's past president of the Michigan Underwater Preserve, so he definitely deserves a uh, uh, a call out for this. So that, that liability is a big deal. So now that it's in the state DNR, and then we've got the obligation of each of the preserves of getting the buoys out, returning the numbers back so they can be logged, and then the paperwork will be, was it updated in two or three years? Yeah. You know, I take that back. I, I, it was Ron Bloomfield. Dan Friedhoff is the secretary. He's who sent the message out. But Ron, Ron Bloomfield, who's past president of the preserve, uh, did all the work on this, and he's been working on this thing for years to get it all set up. So that sounds like our project for next year. So what we need to do is uh, now. Do you have a copy of the guidelines yet, or are they going to hand that out in the November meeting? Uh, it's been posted at a website uh, for the actually the public notice has been posted at the DEQ State Michigan US website, uh, and it's uh, you can find it there. Its application is called a mooring buoy. And so it's open for public comment, and application number is 14-61-0050-P. It's currently in public comment period. Uh, So if you wanted to look it up and see what the state's doing, and there's maps to all the locations they want to buoy, there's GPS coordinates, uh, there's samples of you know, how the buoys will be set, uh, all the stuff the state wanted in, in advance is in this application. Excellent. So well, hopefully the application will get approved, and then we can get some coastal management, uh, coastal resource management grants to purchase all the materials, and then we'll use volunteer labor to install them. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll, we can do some uh, uh, programs to raise funds. Yes, Yep. So I think this this calls for a uh, uh, community fundraising type of program, maybe a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo yeah. related to this. Uh, that uh, would be great. Yeah, you know, do do it just to get resources for one, and then do stretch goals for each of them, and then if you can, once you get it on a roll, you can expand it to other preserves. Yeah, buy a link of chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do it that way. You could you could do it as simple as. Buying individual links, you could buy the buoys. Now, do they have anything on sponsorships? I'm going to imagine there's probably some requirement that it can't. Uh, I don't think we can put any names. You know, what's printed on the buoys, et cetera, would be limited. But uh, we, yeah. we certainly can list our sponsors in the website and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, any publications we do for the program. So yep. we'll uh, we'll see how this goes in the next year. That's great. And we're also looking for and you know trying to find a, an underwater archaeologist to work with us next year. We've got one person that may be around. Okay. And if we can find that underwater archaeologist, then we'll really make a hard push to get the MaxRec project, excavating MaxRec project going. Excellent. Well, that'd be... So we've we got to find the archaeologist first. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then... Uh... Yeah, we talked about it last week. Mac, did you did you see that link where they have the underwater archaeology course? Uh, wasn't a course per se. It was a well, it was I suppose. I went and checked mm-hmm. the uh, curriculum there at the university, and it's a little bit of everything. Does with the Mediterranean and yeah, uh, I did see it. That's all. Several of you guys did sign up for it. Yeah, I would call it more of an intro to underwater archaeology. It's more of like an overview 
of it's like art appreciation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's gonna, it's 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 so you can understand what it involves and what details, but you're not gonna get underwater and and do anything. But I thought it was a, this, I was, I'm willing to give it a shot. I mean, uh, I don't have anything to lose. It was free. Yeah. So we'll we'll find out how it goes and we'll we'll fill everybody in. Now, Jim, we've uh, let's see the the next uh, dive shop up on the list is Sea Aquatics from Midland, Michigan. Well, jump right in. Yep, their phone number is nine eight nine. 835 com, And if you join the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve, you can get two free air fills from them. And I'm trying to load their website right now. Let's see if I can get it to come up. Unfortunately for me right now, it's not coming up, so I don't know if it's up. I'll blame my internet on not being able to get it to show. But this time of year, like uh, we talked about earlier show, H2O, just uh, at H2O in, in Indiana, they're doing their specials. I'm sure many of your local dive shops are doing specials, so you want to get in there and see what they've got, make an offer on something. And if you're like us, you're going to dive all year round, so there's no off-season. And if there happens to be an off-season for you, maybe now's the time to, set, to get your gear in to have it serviced. That way you know in the spring it's all ready for you. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. And I'm a little light on the postings the last couple of weeks. Work's been busy. Of course, I always say that. And then uh, at scuba obsessed on Twitter. You know, I, I try to point my finger on, put my finger on why I'm so busy and I have no idea. It just seems. kids. I, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just the kids, but it just seems like this last year has been busy, busy, busy. I got to get the website updated. I got some other projects, dive-related, I'm doing. Well, once the snow starts to fall and you're stuck inside and where you can get more of the paperwork yeah. done. Yeah, I was brush chopping this last week, and I had the tractor out, running over trees, chopping stuff up. I've I've, I've put in two frost-proof hydrants, replaced the old ones. After about 25 years, I guess they're time to, to be replaced. Surprise, yeah. Yeah. They claim that you can do all the service from above ground, but I just dug them up and put new ones in. That is one nice thing. I'm, I'm, I need to pick the next two years to do all the really physical projects because my son's just to that age where he's he's good with a shovel. Uh-huh. <laughs> Much better than me doing it by myself. That smoker looked pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah he, he did an amazing job in the smoker. Did he uh, do the trailer too? Yes. Well, he bought the trailer, but he pretty much took it apart. He shortened it. He added the and reinforced the frame. So he put as much steel into that trailer uh, that you would have used to build a trailer. Mm. Uh, it has a torsion axle on it, mm-hmm. but it's a big smoker. It's for sale. He uh, he he decides he wants to sell it and use the money to build other things. So uh, I don't have a price yet, but it's a it's a big smoker. I, I'll have to find out the full volume of it, but it's it's more than oh I don't know. It's got two big doors on it. Each door is about four foot. But we we did uh, jerky last night. I put some beef jerky in there i marinated my daughter just now during the program uh she left to go to the uh smoky mountains for her uh math and science at her trip trip this fall and uh, she wanted some beef jerky so we marinated cut up beef jerky and we smoked it and uh i was reading they said six hours at about 140 degrees uh i got it all ready we went to the boy scout meeting came back about and it had been in about a total of four hours and we had charcoal <laughs> mm. it had turned the, some of the thicker pieces were still good it when must i say have been more must have been more than 140 degrees it was about a it may have been 150 but it wasn't mm. it, it just i don't know it, uh 
I mean, it wasn't burnt. It was just it is just heavily smoked and dehydrated to nothing. <laughs> so uh, that uh, I learned not to uh, leave it on its own. Maybe once I get a little bit better at it, or if I was going to leave it on its own, leave it on its own at the beginning. But we, uh, the first about hour and a half was just getting the fire right, and we finally had that to where we thought it was good. So. And you gotta be careful with it because you don't want you, you you don't want it below 140 while you're smoking it because then you risk you know just building a bacteria colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can't go much above that. You don't want to go like above and you want to stay below 180 because then you start actually cooking. So well, we'll do another one. I might do another temp this weekend. But that pine that you gave me is what we're using. And it's probably a little bit of a strong flavor for it. But so I haven't been having fun with that. Uh, this weekend's a whole bunch of projects again. Just trying to get ready for winter. Anybody going diving this weekend? Well, we might take the boat out and try to hit the Ann Arbor 5 on the week, Sunday if the weather cooperates. But with this ER, I won't be getting wet. Yeah, I don't think I'm quite up to the Ann Arbor 5. I don't feel like I have enough dives in this year to be able to do it. So, But I hope I hope the rest of them well. In fact, usually we're, we've done that one by June. This year has been kind of a delayed year for, for diving, it seems. Yeah, it has. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to corner Mr. Kleeman, and we're going to put dates on the calendar, and we're going to have a, a primary dive location, a backup dive location, and we're getting wet one way or the other. Is that this year? We, we may start it this year. I think we need to. So I, I haven't talked to him for a few weeks, well, at least directly. I've, I've passed him and waved and texted back and forth, but not to me it doesn't count as talking. <laughs> So let's see what else is there. I think that just about does it. Do you have anything you want to plug, Mac or Jim? No. Well, nothing diving wise, but tomorrow they're having a meet Michigan type at the airport. Uh, there are about thirty-five airplanes going to be coming in in the morning. Which and airport is that? Benton Harbor. That'd be Rossfield International, Benton Harbor International, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's part of what they do it and come through Michigan and look at the best airports. And it, uh, it, what they're actually going to do also is show you the value of your local airport and how it really does, even though you're going to pay a little millage, it's, it's payback exceeds what the millage that you're, you know, they're taking out of your pocket, basically. How much is the even millage? Fly, for, maybe it does provide a surface. How much does that millage run, do you know, for the airport? It's, it's like a mill or half a mill. Half a mill. I don't know how other countries do taxes, but uh, I think a mill is uh, $1 per thousand of assessed property value. Isn't that what a mill comes I out? I think it's something like that, yeah. 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 $1 so, per thousand of assessed value. Yeah. And typically, and I don't know how this actually works, but if your house is worth 200000 it seems to be the assessed value is 100000 Well, always, there's, yeah, equalized value. Equalized. Is that is that what it is? Is that how it yeah. goes? So it always seems that that's what it is. So it's like... Now, I would end up paying, you know, roughly $100 then a year for the airport. If that comes down this far, is that just the Benton Harbor area, or is it all Bering County pays for that? Well, it depends. There's only a couple of groups that actually pay. Uh, I'm on the board for the uh, Lincoln Township. Mm-hmm. That's one of the ones who actually does know part of the millage. Yeah. Benton Harbor, St. Joe. Yeah. Uh, there's six different ones. Now, I'm, I'm going to guess that our area, if there was one, because you've got because you've got the Benton Harbor Airport, you've got one in Niles. Now Andrews is a private, isn't it? Right, that's a school thing. Yeah, yeah, that's part of their aviation program. Yeah, they've been wanting to expand that, but I don't think they can get it approved. 
They they act like they can eminent domain the fairgrounds, and the fairgrounds is not too happy about it. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, they wanted a new runway or something, and uh, they wanted because you know, they they kind of bound off by the bypass when that went in. Yeah. So that limits them that way. So they'll but the only other way they can go is the fairgrounds, and yeah, the fairgrounds kind of feels that they should be able to eminent domain the airport. So <laughs> yeah, it could could be an interesting battle there. Well, I don't think a school can do that. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think they can. Well, you say they can't, but it all—it's all politics. It's all whoever has the the most push and whatever. I don't think that the airport is of critical value in at, in Andrews for uh, education. It's more for their missionary work. You know, to be it's able a training site for a lot of missionary pilots. Yeah, yeah, they they they're able to while they're at school get their pilot's license. So when they're in Africa or in South America, they're able to to fly from one church to another. Yeah, basically, when you finish your aviation program there, you've got your bachelor's. You also have your CFI one, CFI two, your commercial, and your uh, instrumentation rating. Okay. So, what kind of planes are they going to be able to see at Benton Harbor if they if somebody shows up? Uh, most of them are going to be single engines. I think there'll be a couple of uh, twins, uh, but they're basically, you know, small, like 150s, one, uh, some tail draggers, like 140s. You'll have some 172s, 180s, 182s. Uh, they'll probably have, you know, beach. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll basically be a small aircraft. Now, does Whirlpool keep their airplanes at the airport there? Oh, yeah. They have their monster hangar. They just, that's why they took down a whole section of the old T hangars. And uh, made another humongous hangar, and that's partially the reason, not just all of it, but they, we had the runway expansion program. Right. Uh, now you can you can actually load and fuel their airplanes and do intercontinental. I mean, you can go from here to Europe now. <laughs> for have to stop and get gas. <laughs> that's amazing. But yeah, for those who don't know, uh, Whirlpools is in our backyard right here so the the corporate headquarters of whirlpools bent harbor and that's where they put their jets at i'm sure their executives and sales team used to travel the world yeah they support that airport i mean there's without their support it would be uh very hard to maintain the facilities right. we have well and that goes the other way you can't expect a corporation with a profile of a whirlpool to be in an area without an airport that is correct so that's when you're paying that millage. That's what you're doing is you're you're paying for them to stay in the area and pay taxes. So it comes around. You're not just throwing dollars away. Yeah. It's same thing with your ports when you pay to have them dredged, which is paid by the loads that go in. But uh, you know, if you if you want these services, they don't come free. Somebody's got to pony up for them. Okay. Well, are we to that time of the show? Yes, we are. Okay. Well, I f- I found one. It took me a little bit and. We'll see. I think this one qualifies. You ready, Jim? I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. Lester, the scuba diver, is struggling through a bus station with two huge, obviously heavy suitcases when a stranger walks up to him and asks, Do you have the time? Lester sighs, puts down his suitcases, and glances at his wrists. It's a quarter to six, he says. Hey, that's a pretty fancy watch, exclaims the stranger. Lester brightens a little bit. It's a dive computer and a watch. Check this out. And he shows him the time zone display, not just for every time zone in the world, but for the six, 86 largest cities in the world. He hits a few buttons, and from somewhere a voice says, The time is 11 till 6, in a very western Texas accent. 
A few more buttons in the same voice says something in Japanese. Lester continues, I've put in regional accents for each city. The display is unbelievable high quality. The voice is simply astounding. The stranger struck, dumbstruck with admiration. That's not all, says Lester. He pushes a few more buttons in a tiny but high-resolution map of New York City appears the display. Flashing dots show, dots show the locations of satellite positioning, explained Lester. View recede 10, it says, and the display changes to show New York State. I want to buy this watch, says the stranger. Oh, no, it's not ready for sale yet. I'm still working out a few bugs, says the inventor. But look at this. And he pre- proceeds to demonstrate the watch, which is also a very credible little FM radio receiver with a digital timer. And a sonar device that can measure distance up to 125 meters. And a pager with thermal paper printout. And most impressive of all, the capacity for voice recordings up to 300 standard-sized books. Though I've only got have 32 of my favorites in there so far, says the proud inventor. I've got to have this watch, says the inventor. No, you don't understand. It's not ready. I'll give you 1000 for it. Oh, no, I've, I've spent more on it. I'll give you 5000 for it, but it's not. I'll give you 15000 for it. The stranger pulls out a checkbook. Lester stops to think. He's only put about 8500 in the materials and development. With 15000 he can make another one and have it ready for merchandise in six months. The stranger frantically finishes writing a check and waves it in front of him. Here it is. Ready to hand it to you right now. 15000 Take it or leave it. Lester abruptly makes his decision. Okay, he says. He peels off the watch and he exchanges, and the stranger happily walks away. Hey, wait a minute, Lester points to the two huge suitcases that he had been trying to wrestle through the bus station. Don't forget your batteries. We need that little audio that groans. <laughs> yeah, we keep promising to add that, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to put that in. Oh. That's pretty close. Yeah, that's about what it would be. <laughs> okay. So, so until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And don't forget your batteries. Recording has been completed.